Thank you, David. Good morning. morning. For quite some time now, I have struggled with a topic for my next sermon. And to make things worse, I felt compelled to speak, but on which text? On what topic? The more I struggled with this issue, the further behind I seemed to have fallen. But as always, these things are in the Lord's hands, and as a result, when his his timing is right, then the answers will come. And come they did. But they came the traditional way, through the reading of his word. In the past few weeks, I have been rereading during my daily devotions the Old Testament, Genesis. Exodus, Leviticus, etc. And though I have read the Bible through dozens of times before, this time I was overwhelmed and brought to tears as I plowed through the laws that God gave Moses at Mount Sinai. I was burdened with the heavy responsibilities that were given the children of Israel. All the sacrifices that were given them by the Lord for offerings for sin. There was the sin offering, the peace offering, the trespass offering, the free will offering, the wave offering, the meal offering, and so on. And the amount of blood that was shed in slaughtering the animals for these sacrifices were too overwhelming to imagine. Everything was ordered meticulously by the Lord, from the materials required to build the tabernacle and its furniture, its location, its position, right to all of the holy garments and instruments which Aaron as high priest and his sons required and used. And then there were other laws besides what we know as the Ten Commandments, such as the religious laws dealing with worship and legal laws dealing with one's fellow man and a myriad of social laws as well, and not to forget all of the sexual laws that were put in place as well. So many laws, so many burdens to carry, and it was no wonder that so many Israelites fell under the law's heavy demands. No wonder there was not a single living human soul who was capable of meeting the law's demands. We are told in James chapter 2, verse 10, For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. And for over 1,100 years, Israel was under the bondage of law until Christ came to set them free from the law and bring them under the grace of God. We are reminded in the Gospel of John 1.17, For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. So let's for the moment go back to the 
absolute necessity of why the law was given in the first place. If there had no law been given by God, then fallen man would never have known the justice of God. Fallen man would never have known what is right and what is wrong, what is good and what is evil, what pleases God and what displeases God. By the law, sin was made known. Until the law was given, fallen man did what was right in his own eyes. And though fallen man was endowed with a conscience, the conscience never had the power to force man to obey it. The Apostle Paul explains it this way in Romans 6, verse 23. For the wages of sin is death. But because God has given us his laws, his laws now condemn us. They reveal to us the wrong that we do when we disobey them. And because we now disobey his laws, the wages for our disobedience is death. We are under the death sentence because we have sinned. Paul goes on further to explain in Romans 7, 7. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. Nay, I had not known sin, but by the law. For I had not known lust, except the law had said, Thou shalt not covet. Well, dear friends, do you see the importance of the law? We as sinners have disobeyed every law in God's book from the day we were born. And the wages for our evil doings is death. Not only physical death, but also spiritual death. Eternal separation from God in a place called hell. Because of Adam and Eve's disobedience, death came. Everyone dies. It's a known fact. It's irrefutable. But there is also a spiritual death. Separation from God. Therefore, if there had no law been given, then we as sinners would have no need to repent of our sins and turn to God for forgiveness, because we would have been unaware that we sinned. We would continue to sin and not find out that we have sinned until we died. But that would have been too late. And we would spend all of eternity in hell. That, my dear friends, would have been a very cruel joke on God's part. But God is not in the business of joking about sin as many sinners are. Because of God's love for the sinner, he has done everything he possibly could to turn us from our evil ways and gave us a Savior who took our punishment upon himself on the cross of Calvary. But until we truly understand how serious God is about sin, and how holy he is and cannot exist in the presence of sin, we will never see any need to repent. And so, for the next few minutes, 
I would like for us to re-examine how God feels about sin and why the wages of sin is death. We see that under the law, sin was immediately dealt with, whether through sin offerings, which were a temporary reprieve or forgiveness, or whether it was an immediate death sentence. There were some sins so abominable in God's sight that they had to immediately bring the death sentence. There were no offerings for those kinds of sins. And our first example is the cursing of parents by children in Leviticus 20, verse 9. For we read, For every one that curseth his father or his mother shall be surely put to death. He hath cursed his father or his mother, his blood shall be upon him. Oh, how many a rebellious child has done this in our society and without punishment. But in God's eyes, that child is under God's wrath, awaiting his death sentence. And unless he or she repents of that sin and others that he has committed and comes to faith in Christ, he or she will perish for all eternity. But how shall that child ever repent if no one tells him or her of the evil he or she has done and what is awaiting them? Dear friends, do you see how precarious their situation is? Satan has successfully deceived parents and much of society in maligning the Bible and its warnings. Instead, he has endeared their hearts to the teachings of evolution, psychology, humanism, and taught them to detest true religion. He has destroyed the traditional family units, such that now instead of children being raised in a loving home, they have become isolated, confused, and bitter at God. Then in Leviticus 20.10, we read about a practice that is widely embraced in our society today. And the man that committeth adultery with another man's wife, even he that committeth adultery with his neighbor's wife, the adulterer and adulteress shall surely be put to death. Again, there were no sin offerings for this sin, for adultery, but a death sentence was decreed. And then in Leviticus 20, verses 11 to 21, God deals with incest and sexual sins committed between blood relatives. Again, there are no sin offerings for these sins, only the death sentence. And again in Leviticus 20, 27, a man also, or woman, that hath a familiar spirit, or that is a wizard, shall surely be put to death. They shall stone them with stones. Their blood shall be upon them. And oh, how lightly this is taken today in our society. Newspapers run daily ads with these abominations. Universities offer courses now on witchcraft and sorcery, but forbid witchcraft 
the teaching of scriptures. Next, we come to Leviticus 21, verse 9. This one is particularly heart-wrenching because we have all committed this one in one way or another. No, we haven't. Not this one. Sorry, I was thinking of another one, which is coming up in a few minutes. But this one is particularly heart-wrenching. Leviticus 21.9. In fact, our minds can't conceive of this, and yet God was very serious when he declared this punishment. And the daughter of any priest, if she profane herself by playing the whore, she profaneth her father, she shall be burnt with fire. Imagine that. Dearly beloved, you see how serious God is about sin. Now, let's look at two more examples before we make some conclusions. Leviticus 23, verses 26 to 32. The Lord is talking about feast days, holy days, in the previous verses. And he tells Israel that they are to obey his instructions concerning these feast days to a T. Verses 30 to 32 we read, And whatsoever soul it be that doeth any work in that same day, that is that feast day, the same soul will I destroy from among his people. Ye shall do no manner of work, it shall be a statute forever throughout your generations and all your dwellings. It shall be unto you a Sabbath of rest, and ye shall afflict your souls in the ninth day of the month at even, from even to even, shall ye celebrate your Sabbath. Now, of course, the Sabbath was a very uh, special uh, connection to the Jewish people, not to the Gentiles. But keeping of the Sabbath was mandatory or death. And so anyone of Israel who broke the Sabbath was destroyed. There was no reprieve, no forgiveness. And one more final example, one that should convict us all. This is the one that I thought I was coming to previously. But it's found in Leviticus 24, 10 to 16. Now listen to this story. And the son of an Israelitish woman, whose father was an Egyptian, went out among the children of Israel. And this son of the Israelitish woman and a man of Israel strove together in the camp. And the Israelitish woman's son blasphemed the name of the Lord and cursed. And they brought him unto Moses. And his mother's name, that is this uh, is Israelitish woman, and his mother's name was Shelomith, the daughter of Dibri, of the tribe of Dan. And they put him inward, and the mind of the Lord might be shown them, that the mind of the Lord might be shown them. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Bring forth him that hath cursed without the camp, and let all that heard him lay their hands upon his death, 
upon his head and let all the congregation stone him. Dearly beloved, are we not thankful to be under grace this morning and not under law? How many young people, as well as old, have cursed God and blasphemed his name openly? There was no forgiveness for this sin. No sin offering was available. This was the death sentence with no chance of parole or reprieve. Our hearts should be grieved at the multitudes around us today who are under God's wrath awaiting their death sentence and totally oblivious to what awaits them. Many of these unsuspecting souls are in our families, neighborhoods, our colleagues at work, even many of our good friends. What should be our response? How do we warn them? How do we reach those who refuse to hear anything that has to do with God and sin and judgment and repentance? What do we do? Well, first and foremost, we ourselves must be founded soundly in the word of God itself. We must clearly understand what the gospel of salvation is and what it is not. Why Christ came, who Christ is, and why he is the only mediator of all mankind. Why he alone is the only savior of the whole world. And we must understand why all the other religions of the world cannot save a single soul. Next, we must seek God's mind on how to reach that difficult friend, family member, or stranger through persevering prayer and trusting in his grace to give us the boldness of spirit to witness to them in love. However, we must also realize that some will never hear and will, never, will always refuse to listen. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 2.24, And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient. We are not to get into an argument or into a debate, but rather have a reasonable conversation clearly expounding the Bible's view on the topic. And if there is no readiness of mind to listen, then we are to move on. We are told in Titus 3, 10 to 11, a man that is a heretic after the first and second admonition, reject. Don't keep badgering him. It is not going to yield any fruit. Also remember what our Lord said in Matthew 7, 6. Give not that which is holy unto the dogs, neither cast ye your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet, and turn again and rend you. Continue to uphold them in prayer, and leave their circumstances in the hands of God. In conclusion, let me say this, the world 
is quickly disintegrating into violence, chaos, and turmoil. Society has lost its moral compass and is not even aware that it has. Good is being evil spoken of, and evil is being good spoken of. We have a first-hand look at what Sodom and Gomorrah was like, and we all know how that ended. Nevertheless, we have a blessed hope, don't we? We, as Christians, must patiently watch and wait for the Lord's return in the rapture. We are to occupy until he comes, praying and watching, always mindful of 1 Peter 3.15. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Let's pray. Father, we thank thee so much for the word of God, for it is indeed a a love story from God to fallen man, how God loved the world that he sent his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Father, we struggle with this concept of witnessing to those whom we love and to those whom we care about. We often find ourselves frail and unable to come up with the words to say to them, though we care deeply about them, we find ourselves sometimes incapacitated. And so we pray, Father, that thou would grant each one of us here the spirit of boldness to reach out in love for those that we know are not saved and to somehow minister to them the word of God. And if we're not able to, if the doors have been closed to us, then, Father, we pray that thou would give us the determination to uphold them in prayer until the Lord comes. And if the Lord be not come by next week, Lord, we ask thee to part us now with thy blessings and return us again together next Lord's Day around his table. For we do always ask these things in his name and for his glory. Amen.